everybody, this is Dapo, and welcome to another episode of the Venture Podcast. Today we're talking with Jade Akintola, a friend of mine who's been working in the experiential and spatial design world for quite a bit now. Jade is someone who really understands not only how to find your voice in the creative world, but how to put it to use. And with that, we hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everybody, <laughs> to the Venture Podcast. Would you, Jade, like to introduce yourself to our listeners and just tell them just a bit about yourself before we get into things? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Jade Akintola. I was born and raised in London. Um, I'm one of six, um, and my family are originally from Nigeria. Um, I moved to the U.S. like I guess maybe in like 2011, 2011-12 I first came here to do like a year abroad at UCSD and since then was like going back and forth a little bit but I sort of set myself more seriously in New York after moving there to do my masters and that's where I've been for the last eight years. Nice. Yeah and for Everybody who just is just tuning in, Jade and I had worked together in New York for about a year, mm-hmm. I would say, back at, we were at Map Projects, and then, um, yeah, we've just been, like, keeping in touch since, and really just been following your journey and seeing, like, what um, you've been creating and all the stuff that you've been bringing to life, like... <laughs> How would you describe what you do? Um, I, hmm, all right. So I would say that maybe I guess if, if it was 2020, I would say that I was a marketer, um, experiential producer, EP, and a business owner. So in 2020, I resigned from Mac Projects as director of experiential marketing and co-founded an agency called Inner City with a good friend and colleague of mine, Danny Yago. And at that time, the idea was kind of to start an agency that we felt, not even an agency, because like, fuck, agencies, no one really needs them, um, but like a creative, <laughs> a creative and production company that was A, Black-owned, because there aren't that many of them, B, that like was actually about the culture that it represented because some of the problems that I had experienced was that agencies find it very easy to sell black culture, um, but internally that may not quite be um, really invested in or well represented. Um, So that that was our first kind of like mission was to create something of our own that was also very nimble in in our approach to sort of problem solving. And I had very clear ideas of like the business practices that I wanted to um, to instill within our company because again, I had seen ways of working that I didn't necessarily, that I felt could be done better. Um, so that was kind of, that was a goal and we, we started and were very, very fortunate to have started with some great clients and and continued with them sort of to date. But I knew that I was kind of like missing, I was missing like a space where I could actually exercise a lot of my creativity and um, stumbled across a problem being that there weren't any black owned outdoor goods brands. Um, and then started one. <laughs> I, no, I, and I think um, Ita is a very, because I remember I was talking about this, like, and I want to go back to IC in a little bit, but I remember I was talking about this, like, early on. Um, I think this was, like, in 2020, and you mentioned, like, there's just, like, really not much representation when it comes to, like, how... Um, black people are made to feel like 
it sounds weird to say, but like going outdoors is like for them. Yes. Um, like usually see like brands like Tommy Bahama and like it's like the market's kind of like dominated by those brands that mm-hmm. are like very much they have and they continue to like cater to like a really specific um, audience. Yes. That doesn't really, it's almost kind of faceless. You just see it at the store and people are like, oh yeah, that's like. And it's like your blonde couple hiking and that for some reason is also kind of meant to still resonate with you that has like a very different experience. Um, But that was, yeah, that was kind of something that I started kind of just like investigating. It was was actually, we took a beach, we took a trip to San Diego um, and were at Solana Beach, which is like pretty white and the Airbnb had left us with with beach chairs, which is also, you know, obviously very kind, but we just been there, like surrounded by all of this product and surrounded by all of these people and being so hyper visible in this outdoor space, just like definitely made me feel uncomfortable, but it suddenly made me question like, okay, well, there's some things in this situation that I can change, right? Which is like, maybe let me just find things that feel like a little bit more um, well, just even from like an aesthetic standpoint that just felt a little bit closer because a lot of those products are pretty dated and um, don't necessarily fit like kind of the vibe of someone that does care about the products that they have in their space and want things to sort of feel a little bit more modern and contemporary and design focused and whatever else. So that was the first um, port of call. And then just seeing the way, even from like more of a, historical standpoint like it kind of took me back to a lot of the like when I was doing American studies at King's College like we did study a lot of like racial theory and uh like American history in regards to to race and thinking about the way the outdoors like it's understanding that it didn't happen by accident right so in terms of access to the outdoors and public spaces like people really understood the value of that and went out of their way to make sure that black people did not have the same access because they wanted to keep that from themselves. So if you think about beaches and parks and whatever else, like segregation was very effective. And when you think about how effective it, it was because fast forward to today, you do have a large number of people of color that don't necessarily think the outdoors are for them. Or you have a large number of people of color that do relate to the outdoors, but don't necessarily, they don't necessarily see themselves represented within the marketplace. That's that's interesting too, because like, I think growing up, like I grew up in like a predominantly like white town and like my dad was like, he's a big runner. So whenever I would go like, I'd like telling my friends the next day, like, oh, we went running, like, we were in, like, in the woods, like, we would, like, go to this, like, local reservoir, and, like, that's, like, how my dad would, like, end his day, or, like, that's just how he, it's just, like, exercise, like, exercise isn't, like, a sort of, like, it's not targeted to a specific race, but it's weird how, like, friends would be, like, that's so white. That's, <laughs> yes, like, why is, yes, like, exactly. going outside is, like, mm-hmm for white people like, yeah didn't realize what that's such a it, very like i don't know if regressive is the right word it's just like not the most forward-thinking yeah. way to talk about something that is like inherently very good for you mm-hmm. um it's just like growing up did you feel like you had like was that something that was like a big part of your childhood like no. going outdoors or like no no i so I was raised by my dad. My mom passed away when I was very young. And um, my dad is a big worker. He loves business and education. And I have become rather similar to him to a certain degree. But um, he would travel a lot. And we just, we kind of raised ourselves as children a little bit. Um, How many siblings did you have? So in the home that I'm referring to, it was my older sister, my uh and my older brother and then I have three younger half brothers um so and then when I think about school 
I went to a private school sort of all of my life and that was a very wasn't the most diverse obviously because we're talking about the countryside in England um so I guess in that setting I definitely like you do peeing you have class and whatever and and you are outside in in nature but it's part of like it's part of class like it's not actually meant to be like fun recreation and then you kind of have the classic scenario of the ski trips and like the Duke of Edinburgh's and those kind of activities that I don't know, it was stuff that I couldn't afford to do. Yeah. So it did then feel very white because it yeah. wasn't actually like accessible to me. What is the Duke of Edinburgh? DOV is like, it's like, oh my God, how do you even describe it? It's basically, it's kind of like a course that you do and you get a certificate at the end and yeah. then you have to like, you have kind of like challenges that you do. So you like go camping and then you do like some kind of, you do hikes, but it's, it's all... It's kind of expensive and you have to like opt into it. Um, but it teaches you kind of like the raw skills to survive out in the outdoors, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was definitely, I don't know, I was, I was very, very focused kind of on my academics and my ways of, of like relaxing it was kind of like just to read. I was kind of boring. <laughs> I read a lot of books. <laughs> Inside. <laughs> so is it I C Y A? What does the full name stand for? Uh, I C stands for Inner City, and the Y A stands for Yago Akintola. Okay. So we it took us like a long time to come up with that because <laughs> we loved Inner City. Danny came up with it, and it's also uh, like a really great like I think it's maybe like nineteenth dance record, mm-hmm. um, and it's also. The Marvin Gaye song? Yes. A little uh, trifecta. Yes. <laughs> of meaning that. I just, I remember also seeing Danny, the way he would like put together stories sometimes like this. You walk into a conference room and it's like this beautiful mind mm-hmm. of like, there's like note cards everywhere. Yes. It's just. Yeah, he's a, he's a great storyteller. Um, but we really liked Inner City because obviously when you think of Inner City's kind of like the way they were depicted in the 90s, especially in the in the US, they're meant to be sort of crime-ridden, very dangerous places, yeah. but also like the, the hubs um, and hives of culture. Um, so kind of that duality um, spoke a lot to us. And then prior to that, we were thinking of being called YA Studio, um, just being our last names. But wanted to keep the two but lose the studio yeah. and then you have icya it's quite funny no one knows how to say it i sometimes get what do we get ikya or icya <laughs> a yes. lot of icyas <laughs> um but we're kind of like just you know however you read it it's however it means whatever it means to wow. you um and i'm sure that was like both the name and like your partnership was also like born out of that like experience that you had at Matt and I think there's one thing that you wrote about I want to say summer of 2020 mm-hmm. there was um, a post this is probably the most valuable thing I've ever read on LinkedIn that summer of 2020 like we all remembered like what had went on mm-hmm. and how it made us feel but like I think you captured something that was not just of the moment but just like your experience leading up to that point it was a conversation about uh tokenism and i'm sure like for people who are just listening now i just want to ask like what what was behind that like what was what made you write that um what was were there any hesitations because like i oh, felt yeah. a lot oh yeah that. yeah yeah. I feel like I've been in that place a lot um, of either being like the only person that looks like me in a space or feeling like I'm representing um, other people that look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What? Yeah. Um, that was an interesting one because I feel like I don't really say much in the sort of public social space um, for multiple reasons that I'm working through. Um, but that 
came about because I don't know, I guess I was just very, very frustrated. And I think I think I felt that a lot of us, like when something as tragic as George Floyd's murder happens, a lot of us in certain spaces, like that work within the cultural spaces and agencies and like whatever, like they feel as though they're not actually, they're like, this thing is so horrific and we can say that. And like, they are so far from the problem. Whereas I think what we saw this summer was that issues around race are and were occurring in multiple, if not any, every space. And there were actually things that that were going on that be it like founders of the agency or whatever were not necessarily um, treating as real issues. So I felt that by saying that was kind of just shedding some light to like how a problem can be present in your space, even though it looks very different, it's not as extreme as as what we saw in, in or what we see in like these more tragic cases, but they do really affect people and they have like a very real effect on on your identity and your sort of your mental health and your well-being. So yes, it was kind of like a moment to just be like, the fuck this is going on. Yeah. Um, but it's also kind of like, I'm telling you, oh, I'm saying something in the hopes that people will be more aware and make yeah changes to fix it because something that I always say is there is a solution for everything like even when things feel terribly wrong or when you found yourself having created a space that's not necessarily like that or fully positive sometimes detrimental to others like there is a solution and it's more about what are those solutions and how can I implement them but first you need to hear people and I felt like that wasn't that hadn't necessarily happened in the past yeah that's an interesting way of like just processing mm-hmm. what had happened and just being like, well, I think you're just very much aware of like the kind of voice that you have in the spaces that you show up in is one thing I really respect about you. It's like, you know you. that you have a point of view and you're trying to um, make sure that that is made you know, like very vocal. So that's interesting. Well, yeah, no, I guess. <laughs> I, I guess. I, okay. so, yeah. yeah. Is that something you say from like us working together us working together but also us like continuing to be friends like after i mean like while you were still at Matt, when you were planning on leaving and then when you finally had like when you started to sort of like bring these things to like both ic and and utah it felt like it's like oh like you know who you are and you know like what you want to bring to these spaces that you show up in and like, I think that's something that, like, I've definitely struggled with. That's something that, like, I want to help other people mm-hmm. through as well as, like, figuring out, like, what is your point of view? Because, like, yeah. no one is, no one's coming from where you've been. Like, it doesn't matter. Even, I was talking to my dad about this. And I was like, do you feel like two people have the same reality? Like, the, the term, like, realistic mm-hmm. um, okay. comes to mind. It's like, Two people don't have the same reality. Two people like can grow up in the same family <laughs> mm-hmm. and have two completely different points of view on the world. So I feel like if you expand that out to like a friend group or yeah. a workplace or a school, there's just so many different like points of view that like can be represented when you decide to either like put your voice behind a cause or like just taking a job there's just so many things that you can bring yeah to that um but... you make an interesting point because i was speaking to my sister uh a couple of weeks ago and she was asking me questions like oh because we were, i was talking about like the work i've been doing with my therapist or whatever and she was like oh what are some of the things that you've been working through and i was like oh like i put a lot of pressure on myself in terms of like overachieving or at least achieving and then it becomes overachieving and um just some of the expectations that I felt growing up to be very successful 
And my sister was like, oh, I didn't get that at all. <laughs> like, she didn't get that same, she didn't feel that same pressure that I did. And our, our lives have taken, like, our paths are very different. So my sister is six years older than me, so she's 38. And I feel like when I look back, that generation, there was almost, even though it was only six years, there was like a full generation difference between yeah. between those ages. And because like a lot happened in between there, like the in, like a lot of more social media took place within uh, within that that time frame. So the way that we kind of engage in the world is very different. But she she uh, studied to be a lawyer. She's like very 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 academic, but less in like a kind of like social creative space and more in a traditional sense. So I feel like those achievements meant a lot to her um, and my father and myself, obviously, but kind of the, yeah, a lot of that she just didn't take on. She also has three children. So like family is is a real achievement for her. Um, But yeah, it's interesting. Two people growing up in the same place can feel very different things. (laughs) It's funny because even as like the older sibling that she didn't feel that it's like me as the oldest like i feel that yeah heavily i don't know if my i'm like starting to it's interesting because my brother's also like he's starting to be a lawyer mm-hmm. as well so it's almost like flipped it's yeah like the creative one is like the oldest it's interesting i feel like her she took more of like a caregiver like that was something that that was a role that she very much played in our lives, obviously after we lost our mom and um, and her starting a family at like a much longer, younger age and and those sort of like those from like that family relate those family related accomplishments are are very clear. The the job stuff and the the money stuff and the titles and like all of those things, like I need to get to the next level, yeah. like those kind of um that kind of pressure, she just did not. She took on less, which is which is cool. Probably makes her a lot happier in different senses, yeah. in different ways. <laughs> so I went to I went to Kings and I did film and American studies, uh, which is basically film and history. And that was because, like, I I was thinking, okay, maybe I will work in the film industry. So, kind of partially, but I also wanted to understand people more thus the the history portion um but I actually kind of started working in like I guess events when I was 18 there was an amazing comedy club like that a friend someone that I'd met had started and um actually I guess I was 17 because I was like sneaking into there but um but it was I started working with him and his team and that was so very separate to school but it was it was an incredible space it was super like so black and just so real and uh like a really unique sort of time because obviously nothing lasts forever like eventually it went to mtv and then uh he sort of changed course a little bit but so it kind of was like school plus some of my personal stuff kind of helped me understand where like the spaces I could thrive in um and then when I moved to New York to do my master's I chose to do media management because I understood that like yes I definitely enjoy the business aspect of things um but also kind of yes media and 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 marketing so you know what I guess the answer is yes (laughs) (laughs) But what I realised is that what I was learning in school was kind of just like highlighting that real life experience is always more more kind of valuable. Like the yeah. business, once I started my master's, I I started working at Matt at the same time. So I started in I started school in in August or September, or whatever, and I started at Matt that that December and worked full time, was in school full time and working full time as well which was, don't recommend it to anybody, but, um, but the two definitely provided me, um, a lot of value. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think the working full-time and going to school full-time thing was, like, also me. Mm -hmm. It was also, like, 
very stressful. I remember when I like um, was going through that experience. It felt like I was getting more of my education at places like Matt right. than I was in school. Um, but I also like had worked with people who had um, grew up in homes that like either supported more like artistic or like creative endeavors, and that is like that is an advantage on its own too. Yeah. So it's like I get where the um, feeling like you have to like work twice as hard, mm-hmm. three times as hard even comes from because it's like you you are you're yeah you're getting your education like in a way that like most people might have had like some sort of backbone yeah. like when they had started it's like it, i think that's something that like isn't acknowledged enough is that like um even like if you're you can study alongside with someone and like us two might not have like the same like career trajectory or like whatever it might be like or because like we're we're still trying to like figure out like one, how does this thing even work? Yeah. And is this thing for me? Um, I don't know. That's just something I, I I wrestled with. Well, don't feel like that confident when I'm like, oh yeah, I chose to do this because I wanted to be creative or yeah. exercise my creativity. It almost just doesn't feel as like solid. Yeah. In a way, like when I. I don't know, maybe that's because, like, I didn't grow up with, like, a, in a family of painters or musicians yeah. or, or whatever else. Like, um, kind of jobs are what is kind of important to have as opposed to, like, yeah, like, the creative portion of what that could lead you to. But I feel like some of that I put on myself as well because, to be fair, my dad has very much been, like, whatever it is you want to do, do it and just be the best at it as opposed to being very, like, saying you should do this. That's, and that's rare, too, especially among, like, first-generation, like, Nigerian immigrant Mm -hmm. um, families in general. Like, it's, I grew up hearing, like, all sorts of stories of, like, parents telling kids, like, you have to major in this because, like, you know, you do ABC, you get DEF. Mm -hmm. It's like you become that like very like it the formula sort of makes sense yeah like equal success like go do your bachelor's in history so you can become a lawyer go do it in science so you become a doctor like but i think my dad definitely did some editing in his up in his sort of child rearing because my sister he was like yeah I think she wants to be a teacher, and he was like, "How about you be a lawyer?" Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's nice, but <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe let's you know aim a little higher. So I think by the time yeah. he got to me, but I was also pretty. I think I showed a lot of determination and a lot of interest in kind of certain industries that he was at that point. He felt to just give me some oomph, but could see where it was going. Maybe. Yeah. Um... I think to where you are now mm-hmm. and thinking about um, or some of the things that sort of back to that conversation around um, work sort of being like the teacher um, where school might not like otherwise fill in those gaps like were there any things that you had worked on that like either went like really well or really badly that like you had learned from that? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really badly is always easier to recall. Yeah. Um, I, at this point, had been doing, had been a director level um, and running the experiential department for like, a good few years, um, but we had taken on probably our largest project to, uh, to date for a sneaker brand, and they were launching. They were launching their like a really innovative product for them. It was like 
the world's first fully recycled shoe, which is a big fucking moment. And I, we were, we were um, awarded the project to sort of like design and, um, and execute this like influencer event where they're sort of, uh, key stakeholders would be talking, like Willow Smith was going to be doing a keynote, like it's a big deal. And unfortunately there was like a bunch of stuff going on, like there were still multiple projects going on and it wasn't really capable of, um, of shutting everything else down and being really focused on that. Um, I, the expectation I probably should have spoken up, I guess, a little bit more was, would have been to be like, okay, in order for me to do this and for us to succeed uh, with this project and for this client requires me to like not do X, Y, and Z. But uh, that didn't happen. And I think I also had to go home at that time for like a family emergency. So there were people that were hired to to take on the project. There were people that were, this is one thing that really pissed me off <laughs> and it's slightly tangential but there were people that were like being paid more than me therefore considered more experienced than me like though below me um to be on this project so i'm like you know what if that's a decision that we've made then they should be somewhat accountable for this as well and i should be able to leave be with my family and this still this still be a success but life is strange um, but we get, it's like a week before the event. It is very clear that like, this is like a super, super tech, tech, like technical event. There's a 360 projection screen. There is hours and hours and hours of mapping that needs to be done. Um, the venue, I say is a 360 projection screen, but the venue is made of glass and the event moves from 7 p.m. to 11 a.m which makes things very difficult from a projection mapping well from a projection standpoint but so just stuff like that just kept happening and um we get to load in it ends up taking way longer than anticipated to get everything up we have people flying in from berlin it's just like it is incredibly tense so we we all stay up and we try and bring it together like but we like at one point it was just they had to, our client had to look at us and make the decision as like whether they were going to cancel the event that morning or just like throw fucking caution to the wind and and see if we could pull it off. They decided to see if we could pull it off, but that was like a very kind of, that was like a really, that moment made me really, it was very disappointing, like for someone to have to be like, for working with you to seem so risky was just kind of like very, it made me feel very, very bad. But um, was it's- it just like indecisiveness on their part or like- That got us it, to that point? Yeah, because um, it seems like, I mean, moving an event, like- No, no, they were gonna move the, they were wondering if they should do the, whether they should cancel the event because we were so far behind. Like oh. we were not show ready. And they were like, so what, it, which is gonna be worse? Is it gonna yeah. be more, embarrassing for us to cancel this event now or to see how it goes and hope that you guys deliver mm. and that that's what I mean like that's why I was like that's a very that's a real low point because it means they don't trust you like you've lost all of their trust and um and you've now put them in a really sort of uncomfortable position where they don't feel confident going into like this really sort of big moment for them they decide to move forward <laughs> we are meant to have rehearsed with all of the stakeholders run through the keynotes we do like f like 10 percent of a rehearsal and um and we open doors and there is at one point all of these shoes are supposed to drop down from this <laughs> from this like it must have been like a 30 foot, like 360 uh, projection. But it's shoes. But it's shoes. But they, they move very slowly because you're meant to, it's like a shoe comes down to each person and it's like paired to their size and it's going through the app. Like it's all very intricate. This We did it in rehearsal and like only half of it came down, which was like, oh shit. And then we did it again during the event. And thankfully, like they all 
came down and the keynote went through, like the visuals all worked out. It was all fine in the end, but like as soon as those shoes came down, I went outside, fully had a panic attack and like projectile vomited <laughs> because I was just like, it just felt so close to like being a complete, and I felt like, I felt like a failure even though it had gone okay. And um, like it actually gone well, like everything that was meant to have happened actually happened. But I think in that time I realized how little support I actually had at the agency because, and what I, and I was also kind of troubled by myself as to why I felt so much, so much accountability for this problem, even though I had flagged many issues, like in the lead up to it. And I wasn't like, no one felt the need to like deal with anything and try and figure it out or take on responsibility uh, beyond myself. So yeah, that definitely taught me a lot. It was horrible. <laughs> you're, like, trying to build trust, yeah. not only with the agency that you're with, but with the client, yeah. half of the agency, mm-hmm. which is, like, more added pressure. And, like, some things, I mean, I think, especially with, like, an event, there's, like, definitely, like, a fixed expectation. Like, you yes. sold them this, like, vision. Yes, and it must look like the render. Everything yeah, must look like the render. Yes. <laughs> that runner show must run precisely. <laughs> Nothing can be a minute late. Uh, it's just, like, that's not the real world. But usually, when you haven't, if there hadn't been so many sort of mishaps beforehand, people are more willing to compromise. But when they've had some sort of, make so many concessions and seeing you sort of make so many errors it's kind of like you you just didn't deliver Mm. uh on what you said that you would in the process and one thing that's really important to me is the process of working with a team um client side and and internally so yeah i think i definitely learned a lot on that one and one thing that I've tried to bring into my new agency or my new company is um, not feeling, obviously working, like having clients and, and agency work is kind of like service industry because they are your clients, they are asking for something, you deliver it. But there needs to be more transparency, more room to say like, this isn't going to work. And I'm telling you that from like just say no and that was not something that we really did like that was not the culture or the environment at at some of my previous places i think that's definitely like a it's a a big agency thing um where some clients are there just like keep the lights on Mm -hmm. so it's like or it's just like a good opportunity there's any number of reasons why like i feel like you say yes to things that like maybe you otherwise shouldn't and it like either sets a bad precedent like any number of things could happen as a result of that but that act of saying no like learning how to say no and just being like yeah you know what like we'll get another next one or yeah even while it's going on and being like seeing okay you want to move your event time to 11 a.m but this whole venue is filled with it's made of glass no (laughs) like that can simply not happen without x y and z but you're kind of like moving through it so you're just like yeah okay we'll figure it out we'll pipe and drink this we'll do that it's like okay even if that solution does make sense the team doesn't necessarily have the bandwidth to like get their head around that and and still do everything else that they're trying to do so yeah saying no has been a thing that in with you know with grace reasoning and solutions but Yeah, that was something that we weren't too used to doing. Yeah, and I feel like those kind of situations, like, say you did have to, like, move it in, like, pipe and drip. Like, you're even mentioning things that, like, could also be a solution. Mm-hmm. It could be costly. It may not look as Right, good as clean. As, like, we all hate pipe and drip. Well, <laughs> it's like, but it's also, like, it takes a while to, like, I feel like it takes a while to get to that point where, like, one comfortable being like okay this won't work because i've done this before and i know what it looks like right but i think that um i also wonder like how long did it take for you to sort of like get comfortable being like yeah you know what i kind of know my way around Mm -hmm. i've done this enough time to know yeah Yeah. i mean it's some probably only very recently Mm. i think along with well i i don't know it's kind of 
it's a little unclear to me just because I know that I do come across sort of like very not I guess yeah very sure of myself people say I'm intimidating which really irritates me but um but like I come across with like there's a lot of conviction when I'm sort of communicating and um I don't know being able to sort of trust my gut and my experience and like the way that I see things has taken just like a little bit longer yeah. But we're getting closer. We're almost there. Yeah. Where do you think that conviction comes from? I mean, I think I can present it because, like, that is the way I sort of, like, articulate myself. Yeah. But when I... There's a lot of... I overthink things a lot. And, like, I worry about things a lot. Yeah. So I know that in myself there's, like, a lot of, like, internal stuff happening where I'm like, but is this true? Can I check this way? Like, how do I safeguard this? Like, what are the other sort of pitfalls that could probably happen? Which is then why when it comes out, there is conviction. Because trust me, I've burnt many hours thinking about it. All these mental calculations (laughs) to get to this point. So Mm -hmm. sure, shit better be right. Yeah, which I probably (laughs) don't need to do to the same extent anymore. I think I can, uh, there are a couple of shortcuts I can make without the mental sort of yeah uh exercises i just know that we can always figure it out like whatever it is Mm. like it will definitely work but like i will be prepared with a couple of scenarios (laughs) at all times yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and i think that that's like there's also something like i feel like that's like true creativity there's like being able to like think about like different divergent thinking just like Mm -hmm. different like solutions at a time it's like could think of it one way but also like it would you'd be better served if you're able to like branch out a little bit more and yeah i mean i think in in terms of like on the other end of that like are there any projects that you're like very proud of. Um, yes, there are. I mean, I probably the project I'm most proud of is definitely Eater, and um, kind of having because I I can look back and be like, remember when I had just the beginnings of this idea and was starting to kind of even just imagine like what it could what it could be and yeah. what products to start with and and searching for like literally searching for beaches and, and being obviously being taken to, to China and Alibaba and understanding the limitations and, and then better understanding what it is that I wanted to do where I was like, I don't want to brand a chair. Like I need to create something um, entirely new and then seeing, seeing where it is today and then being even more sort of clear on where it will go is probably kind of like the most rewarding um, exercise that that I've undertaken sort of for myself as well. Like I didn't do it for a client. I didn't do it for any other reason than being like, this needs to exist. And, and let's, let's pour a lot of money into it and, and see what, see what happens. Yeah. And I think um, there's, especially when you're starting something out, there's, and we were talking about this on the way over, like the way it looks in your head and like the way it comes out can be two very different things because like, I think sometimes it's like, at least for me, sometimes it's like more complete yes. in my head. And mm-hmm. you're like trying to like sort of, especially when you're asking for help, you're like trying to walk people through how to sort of get mm-hmm. to that end point. But do you think that's something that was like very immediate for you or was that something that was like did you have to get it wrong or i don't know what wrong is in this case because it's yeah. like it's your vision so there, maybe there's no right and wrong but like mm-hmm. um, how long did it take for you to like sort of to hone the in that, that vision yeah yeah um I'm probably, I mean, it's still, it's definitely still happening, but I think it was probably the first, like, six to eight months of, yeah. um, of speaking to people about it, bringing in 
some key some key friends that would help me bring it to life a little bit more or a lot a bit more um and going through yeah like as you said going through that process of explaining it to other people and then having to lean on them to to visualize something yeah. um so when we think of the the chair and the table it was I, I had to spend a lot of time being like okay these are all the things that i do not want and these are like a couple of the things that this could be and then going through the all of those rounds and seeing kind of like yeah this is still not what i want this is still not what i want and then getting closer and you're like okay cool like this is where we can start because i don't think any of these products are sort of finished like they will also continue to be improved on um but what is i find what is like equally sort of challenging but also like rewarding about the process or when you say um it's more complete in your head and then it sort of takes more times once you're having to develop it it's just like seeing what happens when you get other people involved because in my head yes it's so complete but then once you actually start doing it and it gets like that idea kind of gets in this interference from like yeah. other people and seeing I'm having to I've learned how to a be more patient but b also kind of just be not precious but understanding that by working with other people they will do things differently and then be more accepting of that yeah but not letting it go too far as well if it ain't right it ain't right yeah yeah I feel like <laughs> especially when you're when you're trying to like delegate it's one part letting go in another part trying to be as clear as possible yeah. i think it's maybe like maybe chicken or egg situation where it's like trying to be clear and then letting go of the result at the same time because like if you hold on too tightly yeah. to a certain outcome then it but also, like, yeah, sort of, like, smother, stifle someone's creativity in the yeah. process, which is just, like, not the best way to mm -hmm. just, like, work with people. Yeah, um, it's just about trying to, like, set it up, set things up as clearly as possible to start and then seeing where it goes. And I think the person that's probably taught me that the most has been working with my husband and having him be like a really important sort of like player in the business. And when we're thinking about sort of like the, all the visuals um, and like the photography and everything else, which I didn't realize resonated or would have that much, have as much impact um, as it has had on people. But like our first campaign shoot was really, I was very nervous and I was holding on to things way too much. And it was like, but I also wasn't com communicating fully what I wanted from the jump. Maybe because I didn't know, but yeah, I was being a pain and I learned how to not do that. That's, Which is that's, <laughs> no, that, that's tough sometimes of being like, again, to that point about like letting go, but also like, you're like, it's not there, but like, what does it look like? And then you have to like sort of school yourself back a little yeah. bit and be like, oh wait, but like, one, do I really need this? Two... If I do, how do I explain to people yeah. why this is necessary, how it can be done? Like, there's so many different ways that, like, especially when it comes to giving feedback, that it's like, do you feel like you're more prescriptive when it comes to giving feedback, or do you kind of just like, okay, I'm going to give you enough rope to sort of, like, you know... Hang on to Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think what I wasn't necessarily doing was putting enough work in to fully like illustrate what I like what my vision was for something like I didn't even call myself a creative director or whatever but or I don't say like here I'm delivering creative direction because I kind of always felt that that was like something that someone else would do mm. but I'm fully embracing it now um but setting that up and then in terms of feedback I think that's something I could I, I have been able to to be clear on um it was really more so being confident and giving that initial direction and knowing that like no one else can kind of like really do that for me um yeah which is a learning it is and i think especially working in experiential it's like it's one thing to like 
manage people directly at the agency or be like responsible for people who are doing like elevations, floor plans, like people who have different roles in the project and like your immediate like sort of day-to-day life. And it's another thing to be responsible for an entire like team of people who are responsible for like loading. And like, I remember the first event that like we had worked on together. This was at like ADO in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah, Yeah. And I think that was like my first time like working in an event. Mm-hmm. And it was like, <laughs> it's either like yourself or like Max um, being like the lights they are not like where they need to be. Mm-hmm. They need to be like this in this room. They need like this, like those like little, it's like that last 10% with anything yeah. that I feel like you need to like sometimes over communicate. Yeah. Yes. What definitely. that looks like, or just like things just feel like sort of half baked. Mm-hmm. And not everyone sees the same thing. So like, I would definitely, I know I feel like I've probably been guilty of, like walking into a load-in or something or doing like a final internal walkthrough and being like, how can nobody see that like none of this is right? Yeah. Um, but then what is also really great is that at a certain point you develop a shorthand with your team and your expectations are kind of just like very clearly felt and as successful or the, any of the success that we really that I've had with um, ICYA and like the the projects that I'm really proud of is because I've been really lucky to have such great team players. And um, and I know with us being like a smaller, um, well, like an independent smaller shop, I'm very appreciative of like the people that have been like, yeah, okay, we I will work with you. And, yeah. and it's kind of just like off the strength and yeah, it goes long way. Also that, and like one thing you'd um, mentioned earlier when it comes to like working with a team um, and like delegating with your own brand. I guess it's it's one thing when it's your own brand, it's one thing when it's like an agency, but like yeah. working with friends. Um, I have been told, usually when I ask like, how should I like, charge how should i like sort of communicate this feedback i've been told don't work with friends but i mm-hmm. think i think difficult not impossible how does that work for you like, yeah were you hesitant working with friends like well i mean i did yes but i mean I, i'm hesitant of working with anybody <laughs> i don't trust people um very much to start uh which makes it sort of like because then i will try and like over communicate and make sure that we're on the same page but um i think I, I get to work with friends in both capacities, both on the, the agency staff and um, and on and on ETA as well. I think on the agency side, I feel I feel very sort of lucky that I can pull my friends into projects and and have them sort of share in the experience of working for these really great brands that they like. We may not kind of encounter those opportunities necessarily, um, and as long as they. I think by now, friends in that capacity understand how demanding I am or how demanding the work will be so they know what they are getting into <laughs> before they commit to it. Um, so we haven't had too many disasters there. But then on the ETA side, working with friends has definitely been challenging. And I think part of it is down to kind of the the phase that we're in right now. So it's self-funded. And a lot of my friends are, like the talented friends that I pull in, they do have great full-time jobs as well. Um, whether they're like an, an art director for another brand or a, like a social, direct, social strategy director at an agency. Um, and they are being very graceful by giving me their time. But there have definitely been instances where there are sort of like very clear goals that we have and things that we're trying to hit and they just not be met. And I think this year was the first year where I was kind of like just a bit more, you do the thing, you like follow up, you follow up, you follow up and they're like, it's coming and it's not coming and it's coming and it's not coming. And I, this year I was able to kind of just like, I was just like, why am I doing this? Like just put a stop to it, <laughs> find someone else, pay them. The opportunity isn't right for right now because yeah. like our priorities 
and our availability needs to align and sometimes it doesn't and don't take that personally and like it just like dragging those kind of situations on just it can be like very very painful and obviously then affects your your friendship as well so mm. I think it's something that if you make the decision to do and like work with friends just be aware and cut the cord when it's not working because like there's no need to drag out like a bad situation yeah and I think that like to the point about like not taking it personally I feel like that even applies when you're not working with friends just mm. like when projects may not go away you expected or like just some minor hiccups sort of I don't know throws a wrench in things I feel like it can be hard to not take it personally yeah. I guess like on two ends like when you're not when you're the one who like when it's your brand and when it's your work like oh technically it's not is it your work even it's just like it's oh you're responsible for the work right yes, yeah. right like some like a friend has asked you to like do something for them and it's like one it's an honor and two it's just something that's like wow like i want to make sure that i can fuck this up mm -hmm. so it can be tough yeah on the other end yeah. yeah i'm sure no i i definitely understand that and like i feel like the situation where i was in where like someone was over committing and weren't able to deliver the reason why they were over committing was because they really wanted to do it but having the capacity to do something and having the desire to do something are yeah. two very different things and sometimes they don't align and yeah it's okay believe that but that's what i was gonna say it's like if you like, I used to give a lot more room to self-doubt and then I realised that obviously, like, your brain, whatever you put in your brain, that's what it will sort of spin on, right? Yeah. That's what it will multiply. Yeah. And I would spend a lot of time, like, just worrying about if something will go right and is it going to be good or people like it, blah, blah, blah. It's like, if you just trust yourself and if you believe in it and you put more of the energy into moving it forward yeah. <laughs> as opposed to like reinvesting in that self-doubt and in that worry then like just redirect yourself or that's yeah. what i try and do well do you think that that like sort of self sort of like that feeling of like worthiness was something that like you that sounds like something that takes time to, mm -hmm. like how like would you say that's something that like you felt early on is that something that like took time for you like what the first signal for that was like and i don't mean this in any kind of like real negative way but like seeing the partners at my old agency and like where they had gotten to and then seeing the amount of work i was doing i was like of course i can of course I can do this. Like, yeah. but to put that in a better sort of framing, it's just that people start businesses all the time. Like by looking yeah. around and seeing what other people are doing and also just understanding that there's no real difference between myself and them. Yeah. Like why wouldn't, like why not? Yeah. I think that's another, like, it's huge. Because I think when you're first starting out, it can be very easy to get caught up in like, oh man, like this person's like, I don't think years of experience or age guarantees like competence, mm -hmm. you know? It doesn't necessarily mean that like you're, you know what you're asking for. Like I think there's, I've worked with plenty of people who like, it doesn't matter how senior they are, they can't give mm -hmm. good feedback. <laughs> yeah, there's shortcomings. To save their lives. Yeah, and like, you see shortcomings. Yeah. yeah. So there's nothing like that to give you like a little boost of confidence, mm -hmm. not just a little, but like to sort of like sort of cement that like, oh, okay, like, no, like I have been doing what I said I was going to do and yeah. also like doing it in a way that like you're not sort of compromising your creative character you're like you're very much i think there's a sense of security that comes with that mm -hmm. um, when when that like sort of thinking sets in yeah sense of security and confidence but then also kind of like i just tell myself like anything is possible 
and like just to always like keep yeah. sort of having like big ideas and and not sort of limiting yourself by what you feel like maybe in front of you yeah. like immediately but just kind of yeah keeping keeping things big and and being flexible it sounds like to what you said earlier about like understanding sort of your role in things in the agency and also not um i guess what i'm getting at is like there's a fine line between like sort of comparison to someone else and putting things in perspective yeah or look at like what you don't have in comparison to someone else and feeling like that's the reason why something won't happen for you right but i'm also trying to use people kind of like examples of what is possible and then kind of thinking okay well what do i have that i know will help me do x y and z yeah kind of even better yeah yeah thank you so much thank you for for having this appreciate your time appreciate you sharing the story um and yeah looking forward to seeing all that you do in life with icya with ita um thank you well thank you for the interest in all that's going on Thank you everyone for listening and as always we hope this inspires you and would love to hear from you. We're going to share a little bit about our guests in the episode notes as well as the Venture Instagram where you can reach out to us with any questions or suggestions. Catch you next time.